Well, welcome back to Purple Politics. Hello. I'm Brian Christ, uh, Chairman-Elect of the Montgomery County Republican Party, and today uh, Amy is with me again. Yeah, Amy Hamrick-Lewis, Chair-Elect of the Democratic Party of Montgomery County. So we had been asking for questions uh, to be submitted by the audience. Uh, we got one today that we thought would, would make for a good conversation for the show, so uh, my memory is a little <laughs> bit fuzzy on exactly how it was worded, but I, and, and Amy, correct me if I get this wrong, but I think the gist of it was it seemed like um, the current COVID uh, pandemic is being somewhat politicized, and the question um, was, why is that? Is that your yep, recollection of it? Was... Okay. So, um, you know, I, if you want to start, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, you know, I, I will tell you this. Um, I mentioned this last show. I think some folks are expecting, you know, maybe some, some gloves to be put on and first to slug it out. Uh, I'm, I'm generally not going to do that. Um, one of the things that um, we're all human beings, we need to be respectful of each other. Absolutely. Even if I disagree with Amy, I'm going to be polite about it and, uh, and state my case and that's it. I, I, I don't, it's not going to come to that. So if you're, yeah. if you're looking to put the popcorn <laughs> gloves on and really see us slug it out, I have no intention of doing that. Yeah, so. absolutely. And I appreciate that. Um, and I think, unfortunately, it has, the COVID crisis has become politicized. And I don't know that I really know why that is, except that I think right now everything has become mm -hmm. politicized in our country, unfortunately. And I do, um, going to start off maybe with little gloves. It has been the trend for the Republican Party over the past several decades to downplay the role of education in our society. And they, many pundits on the national level, have decried a lot of uh, Republican, uh, Democrats that are nationally known for being too elitist. And I think that's been a common refrain. And I think that that has hurt the standing of experts in our country. People think that education is not valued, then the people who receive that education, their knowledge is not valued. We have so many doctors and scientists who have been working on this and whose research and opinions based on fact are not being valued by so many people um, in the country. And then when you have a president who does not value education and experts' opinions, then a lot of people that are in his party feel that that's the tact they should take. Mm -hmm. And that leads to pandemics okay. and things getting out of control. Yeah, so I'm glad you brought up the, so the first thing that struck me about the question was the why, mm -hmm. right? Like, I don't know that I'm, I don't know that I'm in a position to answer the why. Yeah. Um, is it? Absolutely. Um, no disagreement um, with it there. Um, I, you mentioned education. I, so I don't, I think there's maybe um, a perception problem here. I don't know a single Republican that doesn't value education. What we typically argue over is how we achieve that, right? Um, I come from um, a background where my mother was a teacher in the public education system, right? Um, whereas um, me and my wife, we homeschool, right? So it's not that we don't value education. Um, and I'd certainly like to understand where that comes from. But I know I do. I value education. I know that uh, my peers value education. We just we just disagree with what that vehicle looks like sometimes. So, well, I, it's no um, secret that, and again, I'm talking at the national level a lot. Okay, sure. but that does filter down. But Newt Gingrich famously said a while ago that the more education somebody has, the more likely they are to vote Democratic. 
And that set a wave, I believe, through the Republican Party. And that's when you started hearing the pundits on media, in newspapers, in the pulpit, in town halls, calling highly educated people elitists, saying they were in their ivory towers, they don't understand what's happening on Main Street. And it's trickled down. And the internet has not helped. Mm -hmm. Now, I love the internet. I'm not going to be shy that I spend a lot of time online. But when you can, anybody can have a platform online, if you're not taught how to make an informed decision on what seems accurate and relevant, then you can believe anything, whether there's, you know, anything to back it up or not. And there are, unfortunately, a large segment of people who are very anti-science, very anti-scientific method, Mm -hmm. and they'll go on and on about doing their own research when that research is all based on falsehoods to begin with. And one thing that President Trump did back in 2017 was dismantle the pandemic response team in the CDC. And it was a cost-saving measure. Mm -hmm. That's what it was billed as. But what would our country look like today had that team been in place? Because there are very smart people who aren't in a position to affect direct change that have been talking about this for a Mm -hmm. long time. And so we, the, the scientific medical community knew something was coming, may not have known it would be a coronavirus versus some other type of virus or bacterial infection or bioweapon, but they knew something was coming. Mm-hmm. And we did not have the structure in place to know in time and then to affect change and policy based on that knowledge. And I mean, that's what happens when you have... Uh, administration that values shiny weapons over research. Okay, so a couple of things there I want to just piggyback off of. Um, first of all, I would say that I think like, I knew, right, um, if you haven't had a chance to watch it, there's a, a show on Netflix called Pandemic, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and it's really interesting, the timing of it. I watched it back in, like, November. And the guy that was on there was talking about basically a novel coronavirus. Really spooky how he even <laughs> mentioned. Have you seen this? No, but I have heard about it. Okay, and he even it. mentions it coming out of Wuhan, Wuhan, Wuhan oh, however yeah. you say that. And and he talks about how it would be something that, you know, would be of the coronavirus family and we wouldn't have any protection from it and talked about so, like, when this stuff started to hit, I kind of knew, like, mm-hmm. what he was talking about. Um, were we well prepared? I, I'm, I'm not going to weigh in on that. I think that you can make the case that early on we weren't. I mean, if you look at what happened in uh, New York, uh, where you had a lot of inter, international uh, – it's, it's an international hub, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you have a lot of flights in and out. Um, I think it can be tempting to draw a conclusion that we – weren't prepared based on what happened there. Um, I do think that the president did the right thing by starting to shut down flights outside. So I think that that was a good measure. Um, I'm coming at a little cautiously because I know we have this whole like hindsight 2020, you know, like it's easy to go, you know, but if I did that, I'd have to do it to myself too, because early on um, when these models were forecast, and I think this is what you're maybe talking about a little bit too is, um, it's hard for me to say, um, good job, Fauci, right? Um, 
because early on he put out uh, this model, you know, and I think it came from, uh, oh gosh, let me get this right, probably Imperial College out of England, and it predicted something like 50 million infections. It was just, you know, and the, and the, the casualty rate was super high. And I don't think we course corrected, like as the data started coming in, I actually just right before, you know, showing up here, I ran the numbers from the CDC uh, to see what, what was what was the actual data. And so the data now shows that the morbidity rate globally is 0.06 and here in the United States it's 0.05. And we didn't know that early on, so we had this big reaction to it. Well, now you have to multiply that by 10 when you're doing the math. So that's really 6% and 5%. Yeah, right. And, and, and they do the same thing, right? So, you know, you just using their numbers, right? right. Um, but before that, right, it was, it was massive, right? Um, it was double digits. It was, um, it was really bad. I don't think we've adjusted to that. Actually, you know, I'm going to challenge you on that number because actually I'm thinking about it. I ran the raw numbers, right? So I went out to um, the CDC. They did a they did a calcul they did a, a running tally from January to May, right? So it doesn't include the last month, uh, but you can take the raw numbers. They'll say here's the number of cases, mm-hmm. and here's the number of um, of fatalities, mm-hmm. right? And you can do a simple division, and you'll get 0.06. Right. And then you multiply that by ten to get the percent. Because yeah, you're right. you're right. Okay, I'm yeah, I'm sorry. You're right. You multiply that by ten to get the percent, and uh, so it's about five or six percent. Um, but that's not the numbers that were you know originally forecasted. We're much higher than that, and so I'm saying, are, are we responding accordingly um, based on that? Um, and it's easy for me to to wag a stick at Fauci and say, you know, you're a horrible man. You got things horribly wrong. But we were working with limited data, so I have this like internal conflict, you know, between because I'm a, a guy of science, right? Like, I, I, I'm a data-driven person, and so I've been in that situation where you have early data. It looks like you know this is this is what you're facing, or this is the culprit, and then when larger data sets come in, I realize it wasn't at all what you thought it was, and so. Um, I think that it's, um, I don't think it's necessarily fair to say that we didn't handle it well. I look at what the the president's policies were on that, and I think we acted accordingly. Um, I don't think we understood. So so I'm looking at this both sides, right? Like, I think the reaction was bad, but I also think we didn't certainly understand other aspects of it, which caused us to make also poor decisions. Mm -hmm. Do you think we're handling it well on the individual level, though? I do. Do you? I do. I, th- I, I why do you why do you ask the question? Because I see an awful lot of chatter online and then it corresponds to what people are seeing out in public that I'm not going to mask, I'm not going to live in fear, I'm not going to mask it kills people, which my husband would be dead many times over because as a doctor right. he wears a mask all the time. Um so I don't think at an individual level we're handling it well or responding well. There is, and this has always been true in America, right? We have an overwhelming, that put an overwhelming value on individualism. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's to the detriment of society in a lot of cases. And I think this is one of them. 
there was an interesting discussion I was reading online about why it started off, the, the person thought that Asian countries were already masking 24-7. That was kind of the in, in, impression that they had, so they wanted to know why it was still spreading there. Mm-hmm. Well, then as people joined in who have lived there as expats and in the oil and gas industry, it's not that they were masking 24-7. It's that they're very quick to mask mm-hmm. when it's needed. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, the virus got a little out of control in some countries before they started masking, but other countries masked Mm-hmm. when they saw that happening and so their numbers stay down. But it's that sense of collectivism. It's mm-hmm. that sense of we all have a duty to each other mm-hmm. and to society. And mm-hmm. so maybe I don't believe the science, but I'm still going to do it because better safe than sorry. Why would I want to infect my neighbor when wearing a mask might keep that from happening? It, you hit, I think you hit on a, a key difference between the Republican Party and the Democrat Party, right? Like we do have this... Um, in this concept of indi- you know rugged individualism, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's a fundamental tenet of the Republican Party. We're simply not going to um, trade off freedom for what we perceive to be safety issues, mm-hmm. right? It, it just is. Um, and you know, there are other things we do this with, right? Like I, I think a number, and I want to be sensitive because I will tell you that even within the Republican Party, right? Like I've had calls from people. You know, and they're very concerned. I think there's, I think there's a healthy reason to be concerned. I personally know eight people that are infected right now. Yeah. All eight people are seemingly on a path to, and their symptoms were mild, right? And and they ran run the gamut, right? Like these, some of these are, you know, in their early twenties all the way up to you know seventy, eighty years old, old right? Um, so I, I do have a, I do have a, a respect for the people that are are worried. Um, it's not. You know, it's not um, something to be cavalier about. I don't, I don't want to get it, um, but I also realize that I probably will. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a matter of time. It would be like saying, "I hope I never get the flu." Right? right. You eventually will get the flu, um, but but it is a fundamental difference between our parties, right? Like we believe in maximum freedom, even if it means, and this this is something that I, I talk to folks about in other areas. You know, our framers believe that if you, even if you are held accountable in this life, right, that your creator would hold you accountable in the next life. And so sometimes that, that's, that's where we get this whole idea of like um, innocent until proven guilty. It may mean that with all the hoops that law enforcement has to jump through, it may mean that a criminal gets away with something, right? Um, and so that's a principle that permeates Republican thought, which is um, we, most Republicans don't like the idea of the TSA. I'm, I'm not one of them, right? And I have some, some reasons for it, but we feel like it's an assault on that, you know, personal individualism. And so I don't know that we would ever get past that, right? In a conversation, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really stark difference between um, our parties. And I have to wonder Neither one of us were alive at the time, but history has shown us that in World War II, there were a lot of sacrifices that society at large had to make. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's, even though they're not the exact same sacrifices that we're being asked to make today, they're analogous. And how would the Republican Party today respond to that? And would it have hindered the war effort if they refused to go along with the, uh, with the, 
restrictions that were in place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in England, if they refused to cover, to put blackout curtains on because I'm not going to live in fear of bombs, I mean, what would that have done? That is a, has sudden consequences. Mm -hmm. And the masking issue really does here as well. You just don't see them, Mm -hmm. right, as suddenly. It's, yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, it, it comes it, down to your individual values, of course. The problem is that, that you, those va- everybody has their individual values, right? And so the people that are in office, we elected them. Mm-hmm. And when does it their responsibility to maybe put aside some of their personal values for the greater good of their constituents? Mm-hmm. And I know that there's a big fight in your party specifically because Montgomery County in Texas is all Republican and I know that there's some issues right now mm-hmm. um, with that. So, you know, I don't feel that Governor Abbott went far enough, but I do appreciate that he did finally do a mask order. I wish it was could have been more strongly enforced, but he does seem to be understanding the severity of it now. But now we have a Republican sheriff who refuses to enforce it. In Montgomery County. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up because I would, I did want to talk about that a little bit. Um, so you may, may or may not be aware, but um, one county in Texas actually, because of that order, um, you know, the, the, the Republican Party voted to censure him. Right. Yeah, I believe it's, I'm going to say the name of the county wrong. I think it's like Aircott County or... Oh, Montgomery County did just Well, and so uh, that was going there, right? So Montgomery County, and I've heard through the grapevine that about another dozen are lined up to do the same mm-hmm. thing. So he's facing a a, a, a high political backlash mm-hmm. for this. Um, and I think one of the things that's really interesting, um, you know, so so our sheriff is, is not going to enforce it. But I think if you look at what he actually issued, it's a lot more ominous than it sounding that it actually is. Because if you look at the order, all of that stuff that he says is eventually qualified by saying where six feet of the spacing is not right. permit, like not possible, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of folks don't understand that it, it wasn't really a whole lot different, but it was the the way it you know it went out and and the way it sounded. Um, and and you know people will will say, well, do you you know wear a mask when you go into business and say, absolutely. If the business is requiring me to do it, that's enough. That kind of goes back. It, it dovetails, right? We have this strong belief in individual sovereignty. And as the Republican party, we extend that to businesses as well. We look at the business and a business owner and say, you are sovereign over your business as an extension of yourself. And therefore, if you want to say to your you know, prospective buyer, that in order to you know to come on to your retail store or whatever you've you've got to wear a mask, I support their right to do that. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I, not everybody in my party feels so. I think most of them do, but mm-hmm. I think there are some that that don't. Um, but for the sake of consistency, I, it's it's where you have to land. I mean, if if we're gonna if we're gonna say that about this, then we have to say it about about masks as well. And so, um, you're you early on. You know, what I'm what I'm trying to drive it is you really kind of hit the nail on the head when you talked about individuals. Mm-hmm. That's that's where we just part ways. I think. And I mean that's why we have two parties, right? Yep. Because there is a divide that in a lot of places is never going to be breached. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's kind of where we have to land. That yeah. this is where we are. Um, I mean, I just do wish that the administration at the top 
listens more to experts and less to poll numbers when it comes to something this critical. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Well, I share one last story with you here. I'm trying to be conscientious <laughs> of your time. I know that uh, I know uh, that Amy has a uh, it's kind of a hard stop today, and so we're yeah. gonna we're gonna try to keep this one short. Uh, I will tell you. So there, so a lot of folks are, I think have been, um, and maybe you'll have a story to share. Um, but a lot of folks, there, there was a recent set of articles that came out. I think uh, the HPD Fire Fire Association published a letter saying, "Ha, ah, we're at maximum capacity on the hospitals." And then I want to say within like 24 hours, some hospital administrators came out and said, "Whoa, hold on, it's not exactly the the picture to paint." Um, I took it upon myself to talk to someone who. I knew he was sort of on the front line. Um, so this gentleman, his daughter's a surgeon at one of the you know, top uh, hospitals here in Houston. And I said, what's the reality? Can, can you break it down? He said, well, he said, there is a large footprint in, in these hospital beds right now. He said, but it's not all coronavirus. He said, it, he said about two, there's about 200 occupied beds at this particular hospital. And he said, the reality of it is, is when people are coming in the door, they say, you know, I think I have symptoms of coronavirus. They'll do the test and then they give them basically the, and I can't ever say that. It's like rem, remdesivir or something, rem, like that. something yeah. really hard to say. <laughs> uh, and then there's another one that's equally hard to say. It's a steroid. I think it's called dextro. Dexamethasone. Yeah, that one. And then they basically send them on their way and tell them to, you know, self-quarantine, right? Mm -hmm. And that generally takes care of everybody walking through the door. But currently, I think he said in the in the hospitalization, like of those beds, nine of them are coronavirus. Mm -hmm. And he said what happened was early on, you had this huge scare, 50 million people infected, super high fatality rate. What's happening is people were afraid that had other really serious, like, you know, cardiovascular issues, mm -hmm. diabetes, all these other really bad. So they were scared to go in to their doctor's office. And now what's happened is they've waited so long that these people are getting themselves into really bad situations. So you have the hospitals filling up. So as with anything, there's kind of like this like little bit of truth on both sides. And I just right. wanted to share that. Right. But then there's also more complexity to it as well that I think if you're not in a hospital setting, it's not evident right away. And I've talked to um, several people. One is an imaging um technician mm -hmm. in a hospital um, and then several different nurses in different hospitals around. And we use terms like ICU and general beds and things and kind of throw them out like they're all equal. Mm -hmm. The patients that have to be on ventilators, whether it's COVID related or some other respiratory, mm -hmm. I've had two friends pass away during this of pneumonia that they never had a positive Corona test. Mm -hmm. So they may or may not have had it. Right. But there's still people that have respiratory problems, mm -hmm. right, that require ventilators. It requires specially trained technicians to intubate, to set them up on the ventilator, to be with them while they're on that ventilator. And those people can be in short demand before the beds are. Mm -hmm. And so it's not the, – the bed number can be – indicative of what's going on, but not always, mm -hmm. depending on the type of cases that are mm -hmm. in those beds. And the imaging technician that I mentioned, she said, yes, our numbers sometimes can be this high before corona as far as bed space, but her job has been her request for 
radio radiography for mm -hmm. MRIs for CTs has been through the roof. Mm -hmm. So the normal cases that are in ICU beds, she said one day she might see six to eight have six to eight requests for procedures, mm -hmm. and now she's seeing sixteen to twenty requests mm -hmm. every day or every shift. So it's not just the beds that can be overwhelmed; it's the rest of the structure in the hospital system. Mm -hmm. We can have beds, but literally not be able to do anything with the patients that are in them if we don't have the trained mm -hmm. staff. And that's part of the problem, too, that we have to worry about. So, and of course, we can't, as just people walking around, do too much with that except follow the CDC guidelines and wear a mask and stay six feet apart and don't go mm -hmm. hanging out at restaurants and bars, even if they are open, because that's where the spread yeah. is coming from. Um and so I just wish people would take their personal responsibility a little bit more seriously across the board. Well, and, and, you know, I'm probably one of those crazy people that's running around not wearing a mask, <laughs> right? Um, but, you know, at the same time, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to chastise someone for wearing a mask, right? Mm -hmm. I you just, I, 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 I'm so sympathetic to the fear that people have. Um, and so I would encourage uh, you know, anybody that's listening to me that, uh, you know, that's, that's doing that, you know, they're picking on the people that are, you know, don't do it. Um, I don't want to be picked on for not, um, I could, you know, we, we've just got to be, um, compassionate towards one another in this process. I do feel like we'll get through it. I think that, um, I do think that numbers are sort of trending in the right direction. Um, I'm not jumping up and down, I, but I would like to get back to normal life sooner than later. So, you know, kind of like hanging on to any, um, you know, and maybe you know more about this. Maybe you can talk to it. I don't like I said, I don't cling on every piece of, of news, <laughs> but I did read an article here recently that there was a, a legitimate trial um, study of the hydroxychloroquine thing again. And they came out saying, yep, it looks like it actually might do something. And so I'm like, oh, that's great news because yeah. it's really cheap. I have seen both. Yeah. It goes back and forth. And the problem is data, the mm -hmm. size of your data set, yeah. right? So I don't know that we know for sure. I think even better than that is that they're starting human trials in the vaccines. And yeah, 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 yeah. So that's I think that's going to be a better uh, avenue to go to. Because be since it's been shown that so far, that as far as we can tell, there's not lifelong immunity from getting the virus naturally. A yearly vaccine may be the only thing that keeps it in check. And you're, you know, I want, again, I want to be sensitive of your yeah. time here. We've got about four minutes left. I, I do want to throw this out here. Uh, I don't expect you to, to answer it. I, I just, I, I am doing this with folks in my own party. So my, my question is this, um, what, uh, what is the metric that we collectively look at as a society and say, yeah, at this point we're going to go back to normal. In other words, Let's assume that this thing, I don't think it's going to naturally die out, right? right? I think there's enough people on the planet for it to always have a host. Um, you, you reminded me of this by saying, well, they're really not certain whether you can get reinfected or not. You, you might be able to, right? Um, let's say that the masks are having a positive effect, right? So, so what happens if we get, like, whatever that threshold is, what magic number do we get to where we go, okay, you know what? We're, we're fine with this. We're going to live with it. We're going to go back to the way things are normal. And then 
a large portion of the population takes the mask off and all of a sudden we see, because we do know it's highly contagious, right? right? So then we see this, do we go back into that phase again? Like I'm asking people to think through this. What does it, what in your mind does it look like to get back to normalcy? When is that? When is that? Have you thought about that? I have. I think it is going to take a vaccine. And I do think that, I think that wearing a mask is such an easy thing. I Uh see no reason why that shouldn't be part of our normal, at least for now. Um, I do not like wearing a mask. I found it, I found actually the cloth ones that have been uh, made because of this much more comfortable than when I wore a surgical mask when Mm -hmm. I was a veterinary technician. I hated wearing masks those masks in surgery, which is why I leaned towards ICU and ER work. Um, but I don't find it as bad now with the cloth masks. They're more adaptable in my mind. So I don't see a problem with having mm-hmm. masks be part of our new normal. I don't think it's that much of a hardship. And so I would feel more comfortable getting out and participating in the economy if mask usage was mm-hmm. more like 90 to 100%. Mm-hmm. And I have asthma, I have allergies, seasonal allergies, I have all these things that, that could cause a problem with wearing a mask, and I don't feel a shortness of breath sure, sure. at all. So it's gonna if people would mask and the sooner we have a vaccine, the better, I think is what I that, that would be your come down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you understand so as a party, you know, we talked about this in this rugged individualism. And so I think for me and for um, a large group of our party. Um, you may not agree with this premise, but I think part of the problem is, is so we we believe in a very limited government. We want to put we want to put government in the smallest box possible, right? Like yeah, that's called a uterus. That's another show. <laughs> this, this is a this is a principle that um, is really kind of foundational to us, um, and so. What we're worried about, right, is if you say you must wear a mask, right, under these conditions, what's the next thing we're going to be told we have to wear, not wear, do, you know, by the government, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I hate using the term slippery slope, but a better word maybe is set a precedent. And we're just not comfortable going down that road. Mm -hmm. That's... And I feel part of that is just because we're very short-sighted when it comes to history. Because, of course, like we talked about, in the past there were restrictions, and they went away when the problem went away. Mm-hmm. And a little bit before you and I came along was the no, sh- no shoes, no shirt, no service mm-hmm. was started. And now that had problematic origins, for sure. But it's become part of our culture. And in the past 50 years, it hasn't gone past that. So I think that the argument or the fears that it would are overblown at this point. I mean, it, we have a history of it not getting up. I don't see it that way. <laughs> I don't see it that way. I'm always skeptical of the government telling me, um, you know, that I've got to do X, Y, Z or mm-hmm. I can't do X, Y, Z. I think my Republican colleagues feel yeah. the same. <laughs> so. Well, um, I think we've probably yeah. beaten that horse. Yeah, we've beaten that one. Um, you know, viewers will have to decide on which which side of the fence they fall. Um, and so it, we are kind of at that hard stop. So I give you the opportunity to, to wind this thing down. Yeah, so you have been watching Purple Politics, a discussion between the red and the blue here in the Woodlands. It's brought to you by Woodlands Online. 
You can watch us on Woodlands Online or listen on the Woodlands Podcast page, as well as iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcast. If you have a question or comment or a topic for a future episode, please email us at woodlandspurplepolitics, all one word, at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us. Thank you all.